says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to a special edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me for this special episode is my good mate, 60s. Mate, we had a very special guest last week and it was a real honour and pleasure to have a chat with this particular gentleman. Mate, it was. I certainly learnt some things about the history of the Eels Mm -hmm. and also the uh, unique footballing journey of Bill Richards uh, from the chat that we had with him. Uh, Not only that, mate, it was was fantastic to actually be uh, back in person in para-leagues rather than our uh, remote podcasts that we, uh, we we do most of the time. So uh, I certainly enjoyed that aspect of it too. Yeah, always good to have a recording face-to-face there. And it certainly helps on the technical level too, not having that layer of our internet sort of streaming going on with the recording. So it was good in all accounts getting to sit down in Jack's Bar and Grill at the Home of the Eels para-leagues. But uh, without too much more to say, I'll let you introduce Bill Richards. Well, here we are in the surrounds of Jack's Bar and Grill, and this is normally our location straight after matches at Combank Stadium. But today, we're actually here because we've got someone that I think our listeners are going to find fascinating to listen to. You see, not all Parramatta legends are associated with the Eels' premiership years. The Parramatta Eels recently celebrated their 75th anniversary, and there's a lot of history dating all the way back to 1947. And we're going to learn about an association which aims to strengthen the ties between all former Eels players, coaches and officials. That association is the Blue and Gold Alliance. And Bill Richards is the chairperson and one of the driving forces behind the BGA. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Cumberland Throw and the Tip Sheet Podcast. Uh, Hi, Craig. So I want to talk a little bit about yourself, Bill. Uh, But to give some people context to the background of your playing career... Right now, Mitch Rain is player 826 for the Blue and Gold. You were player 259. When did you debut for the Parramatta Eels, and who was it against? My debut as a graded first grader was um, on the 19th of May 1968 against Eastern Suburbs, across the Roosters, uh, which we won 13-7. I did, however, come on as a uh, replacement quite a few times in 1967, in those days, of course, the reserve grade reserved for first grade and the third grade reserved for reserve grade. So I played uh, quite a number of different games over that, that period of time. Um, yeah, so it was, um, that's, that's when I made it, uh, which, I, which was quite interesting because it was a very, very interesting game from what I can remember. It's interesting because these days, and, and, and I don't know where, when this would have changed, but as, a, as a, an interchange or a replacement player, you'd get a player number, wouldn't you? Because you would have been named as a likely mm. replacement. Yeah. But back then, you wouldn't have got a player number until no. you were actually selected in the, well, in the starting... In the starting team. lineup. that's right. So, so I think uh, my number of reserve grade was 21. Um, and uh, then, of course, there was six, uh, six in the first grade. But, um, uh, yeah, and then I think it was 48 in third grade. Something like that. So, but but you know, you just went on uh, with your original with the number you had on your back. There was no sort of uh, here's another jumper with a new number. <laughs> and of course, back in those days as well, you could get someone who 
could play all three grades mm-hmm. in the one day. Uh, yeah, but highly, but not likely. Uh, more likely to play at least do two games. I yeah. mean, I've done that. I did that. Uh, I did that against Manly and played a full reserve grade game and come on and then virtually played a full first grade game. So. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I must admit, I slept very well that night. You know? <laughs> I think the only the, the main one that I remember uh, was if, of more recent times. When I say more recent times, I'm still going back over 20 years. Yeah. But I think it was David Penner might have done that in mm. the 90s, yeah, where he he played in. I can't remember whether it was the under 23s mm. or under 21s or whatever. Okay. Then went on to reserve grade, and I think he scored a few tries in in those lower grades, and then he ended up getting some time in wow. first grade that oh, day. It's, so just, it's something you don't see anymore because there's protocols to protect players from the wear and tear yeah. of playing multiple games. So, yeah. It was just rough and tough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I've been, I was chatting to uh, Bob O'Reilly recently about his junior footy, and he mentioned he played alongside yourself and Len Stacker at Guildford. Yeah. Uh, what do you recall of those days, and how did you progress to grade football at Parramatta? Um, playing with Guildford came about as a result of um, Cameramatta not having a D-grade side. And uh, basically, um, that's how we started. Uh, we, st- we, we got over and played with Bobbo. Bobbo was already there. Uh, and it was probably one of the best sides I think I've ever played with. It was a brilliant side. Um, I started at Cameramatta in F-grade uh, and E-grade. And then, of course, Guildford. In, and in that F-grade, E-grade area, we uh, actually had... Um, the Oakley Shield, the representative side, which you're going to talk about later. And can I just ask for people who, who aren't up to what those grades are, that, that equates to an age, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, F grade was, uh, was under 13 and E grade was under 15 and I think D grade was under 17 right. in those days. So uh, from there, uh, and basically how I progressed into Parramatta, uh, I, start that, I started with the Parramatta Oakley Shield side uh, and then with Guildford, with the Jersey flag team, and the Jersey flag team, we then got called up into Parramatta third grade, and then third grade reserve, first grade. That's mm. how it progressed. And just on that journey, obviously everyone remembers the '81 team for the premiership glory for yeah. the Parramatta Eels. But were you a member of the first ever Parramatta team to actually win a title for the club? Yes, yes, it was. Uh, it was the. I'm going to remember now. It was the 1962, I think. I think 62, I think it was. Uh, it was the Parramatta Oatley Shield, uh, which I think later became the SG Ball. Might have been the SG Ball or maybe Arab Matthews. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, grades that the Eels have had a lot of success in. So you were the, the pioneers in Yeah, a well, we, we were the very first ones. And uh, it was, was very, very exciting. We knocked over Canterbury-Bankstown 28-3 in the grand final. And uh, it, we're very exciting. And uh, it was wonderful to a great team to play with. Uh, and, of course, some of those, uh, or quite a few of them actually then moved into the Jersey flag team, uh, which, which uh, was another good team as well. Mm-hmm. You know? And, of course, uh, we, we have to ask you about another interesting experience that you had because a- as you were coming through into that sort of representative football around with Parramatta, you were part of the New South Wales Coaching Academy. And it was something that was around for only like a couple of years, is, yes. is that right? So can you talk to us about what, what happened there? Yes, the inaugural, the inaugural New South Wales Rugby League Coaching School was um, formed in, I think, the late 1964. Uh, director was Ken McCaffrey, and uh, he was the director, and assisting him was Ronnie Willey, uh, 
uh, Keith Holman, Ferris Ashton, Keith Giddows, and Johnny Greaves. Geez, you, there's some names there that you're <laughs> pulling out. That, I mean, that like for for you know people of a, an older generation like myself, you like it's just going bang, 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 who. bang. Yeah, and it was a who's who, and 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 it uh, it was. It it, it it started in uh, in December basically sixty four, and went for twenty one weeks uh, Saturday mornings. When you say twenty one weeks, it was twenty one Saturday mornings, uh, nine to one down at Wentworth Park on the outside of the viaduct there, and it was a very comprehensive program. Uh, we did sprint training, we did tackling training, we did all the basics. It was very much focused on the basics. We also did a uh, a session on nutrition. Uh, we did weights. What sort of weights were at our ages? Of course, we were still growing, so we had to be careful about the weights, how we used weights, etc. Um, we had li- had the likes of Reg Gasnier, uh, Johnny Raper, Michael Cleary, uh, John Sattler. All of those came down and 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 talked to us about their game and about parts of the game that we wanted to focus on. And um, fantastic. And it was. Uh, it was the, basically the nominations came from the Jersey flag team. So each district could nominate up to three people, uh, three players, to represent them in the in the New South Wales Coaching School. And also at the same time, we we had the opportunity to become referees, uh, which quite a number of us did um, at that stage. So, and that was very good because it, it allowed us to uh, to really get a good knowledge of the rules and have a clear understanding of the rules. We talk about the who's who of coaching. That's actual rugby league royalty in terms of who you're rubbing shoulders with from the players. Oh yeah, without without a doubt. And uh, that they were yeah they were coming down and and, and they loved coming down because they thought this is this is something they could put back into the game and help the younger players moving forward. And uh, you know we had uh, Lenny Len Stacker, myself, and, and Peter Marbu, and also one of the South guys was Paul Sate, who obviously played for Australia. You know, and he was in that team as well. And they had, sorry, they had two teams. They had the Dallies and the Messengers, um, and it was quite, and we played an exhibition match at uh, at the sports ground. At that's uh, later on uh, towards the end of the uh, of the of the uh, the, the sessions, uh, the program. Um, and of course, it was interesting playing against Lenny because Lenny was on the Messengers <laughs> and I was on the Dallies. <laughs> was that like as a curtain raiser before? It was. Uh, it was a curtain raiser to one of the games down there, and uh, I can't remember exactly which one it was now, but. Um, it was uh, was fabulous, and it was just uh, to show them what can be done if you if you really start to concentrate on the basics and and focus pe- training people on the basics. And it was excellent. You know, when you hear the details of of that particular coaching school, and then you see what's happening with a lot of the development programs now, that was ahead of its time. A, for, a forerunner oh, of yeah. modern yeah, practices. Yeah, it was. It was. It was, uh, it was brilliant, and uh, you know. I've seen co- I've seen coaching uh, uh, sessions run around the place, but but this was a a, a, a significant program of a, of advancement. So each just to give you an idea, we did sprints, uh, hundred uh, hundred meter sprints, and you weren't allowed to drop your time by more than point two two uh, each time you uh, by the first run to the last. So it's managing intensity levels, which is that's a big right. part of the modern game. That's it. That's it. And you weren't allowed to drop by more than point two. So, uh, you know, it was really quite fascinating to do that and quite testing. I mean, we were young and we were fit, so yeah. really it didn't worry us too much. You know, we reveled in it, you know. But, uh, but I t- uh, it was just interesting from that perspective. Uh, as I said, the most important thing was making sure you got the basics right. You know, yeah. and I mean, all this fancy stuff about flick passes and all that sort of jazz, hey, that doesn't win matches. 
basics well, do. What, what do we beat on about every week yeah. when it comes to the Eels, the fundamentals? Fundamentals. I mean, you can put on some razzle-dazzle plays in rugby league, but in any given week, it's the simple stuff that's going that's to right. carry you to you victory. You've only got to look at the, the, probably the most successful team in the world with over a 75% success rate, which is the New Zealand All Blacks, and they do the basics yep. exceedingly exactly. well. Exactly. They just focus on from nothing else. Front but the rowers basics. to outside They're backs, right. they all They're do. They're right. They're just all the basics. That's all mm-hmm. they do. And they, and they, they win, win consistently yeah. because of that. Yeah, so absolutely. We established that in 1962, you broke historic ground for the club. But fast forward a few years to 1965, that was also pretty successful for you and the third grade team. Yeah, it was. We, uh, well, the 64 team, of course, won the competition. And, and there was some nucleus of that team still sitting in uh, 1965. So, um, uh, you know, when I, I joined it as a, as a young 17-year-old, <laughs> um, it was uh, very exciting to, to start at that and see some of your heroes, uh, you know, that you, you'd look up to uh, in, that, in those grades, not only in, in, in the Parramatta team, but also in other teams around that we played against. Um, and um, we also <coughs> were fortunate that... Um, we made the grand final, but unfortunately got beaten in the grand final by South Sydney. But uh, but it was a very successful year from our perspective to be there, um, you know, and at the end. And because uh, I laughed, uh, uh, I had uh, I had a, a, a head knock on the semi final, and uh, and anyway, I was sitting in the as a reserve in the uh, in the stand for the grand final, and that was when there was the 69, 72,000 there for the uh, grand final with South. And somebody uh, yelled in the crowd, uh, they're going to be really in trouble if they had to find their reserves. Because <laughs> we couldn't get through the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, like, that's something that I wasn't aware of, in, like the 1965 third grade team being in the grand final. Because those of us who are, you know, like to consider ourselves reasonably knowledgeable about Parramatta's history will straight away go, 64 third grade team yeah. won the competition. Yeah. Um, but then... They were also the first grade team yeah. to have made the grand final yeah. from Parramatta. So yeah. that was then two years in a row. But I, I, that was something that I wasn't aware of before speaking with you. Yeah, but nobody ever remembers who came second, mate. <laughs> no, yes, yeah. History is written by the victors. <laughs> too true, too true. So just looking back on that time, your time with Parramatta, what was the best aspect about playing footy with the Eels? Well, you know, I came through the juniors uh, and, and I think I always had that, that goal of wanting to play with Parramatta uh, with the first grade. And, and, you know, the playing with your mates, I think that's, you know, there's nothing better than that, you know, to playing with your mates. And also with playing with, with those players that you always looked up to uh, and, and, and were your heroes and suddenly get to play beside them uh, was quite fantastic. And I know that's... You know, you hear this even today with these younger fellows who say, you know, I get to play with my heroes, and 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 there was there was there was a sense of um, sense of pride and there was a sense of belonging. You know that this was this was a, a, a really tight team and a tight tight club that looked after its players, and uh, and uh, you know from that perspective, you couldn't ask for anything more. You had a fair few decent forwards <laughs> playing in the year that you were playing first grade. Oh there. yeah, well I had, uh, they had the Thornet, Dick Thornet. We had Brian Hambly. Ronnie Lynch, um, and uh, we had the, the big Bobbo, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, and then Mike Jones, and um, and uh, who else there was? Oh, Peter you. Peters. No, nah, uh, yeah, Peter. Pe- yeah, Peter Peters. Yeah, he was, he was there. Uh, but there was also um, another Jones uh, there as well. So, um, yeah, it was uh, fascinating. And uh, we had Teddy Heinrich as well. 
um, who was come uh, from rugby union. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, and and you know the the beauty was as a five eight, it was just sitting down watching someone like a Mike Jones or a, or a uh, Dick Thornett take off, and you knew as soon as they took off, you had to be beside Something them. Something was cooking. Something's yep. cooking. Mm-hmm. So I was always trying to stay with with them and wait for something to happen. And uh, and I laughed at uh, we we play with South Sydney and uh, uh, Mike Jones took off and I thought yeah I'm gonna I'm, he, I know where he's going so I took off after him and as he passed me the ball uh, the lights went out <laughs> 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 uh, I sort of got a nice uh, hit by uh, by Bobby Moses and Bobby McCarthy and and Jack Bradley I was on the ground and Jack Bradley came up to me and he said. I think they were waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was it the old stiff arm? Or? Oh, it was a good coat hanger, I'll tell you <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, you just, I just shook my head, got back up and away I went. Exactly. You know, so that, that was, was always a, the fascinating thing, even up, to, even up to the 80s where you'd see yeah. someone cops a, cops a knock. Bounce back off the ground. Bounce back up, yeah. you see him, have a look at who... Who delivered it? Number. Get the yeah, number. Yeah. Get the number. <laughs> yeah, that, that is so inaccurate. Yeah, but I wasn't big enough to do that. I sort of, because I, I, I remember a, a wonderful story, uh, and it was, um, was actually happened because uh, we were, we're training up, and, and, and what's his name? Uh, Ian Johnson, who was the coach, said to me, uh, You're marking Popper Clay this weekend, you know, and I'm, okay, Popper yep. Clay, righto. You know, and he's a 19-year-old, you know. Uh, you know, I couldn't give a shit about anybody at that stage, yeah. you know. And he, uh, he was just keen to get on with the game. And uh, then she came up and he said, look, whatever you do, don't try and tackle him. Yeah. You know, leave him to me. Okay. Oh, yeah, right, eh? Okay. <laughs> you know. Anyway, we get, we get in the game. <laughs> Clay gets the ball. Brian Clay gets the ball. He starts running at me and I go into attack. And he just dropped his shoulder and I went, bang, yeah. down <laughs> like that. Anyway, Lynchy came up. And picked me up, and he said, "I told you, don't try to tackle him." Uh, you know what he does for a living? No, he carries bags of cement. On a daily basis. Okay, thank you. Good. Lesson learned. Uh, now, the interesting. Uh, the, there's a really interesting story about how your time playing for the Eels came to an end, because it certainly wouldn't have been planned. Uh, no, it wasn't actually. It was because uh, 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 I was in that that ballot system for the national service. Uh, in 1968, and my then the ball came out, and uh, I got called up, and um, I did, it was, it was actually interesting doing the medical because there were quite a few of the rugby players doing the medical, and they when I went in to do mine, he just he got the sheet and just ticked everything off. I said, but you haven't even ticked anything. He said, you're a first grade player, you know that. Get get out get out of here, you know. Yep. Anyway, so what happened was that, um, and then I went down to um, to and I think I played against Canterbury on the Sunday. And I was uh, down at uh, on the bus to Wagga Wagga to the recruit training battalion on the Wednesday. And I had a major waiting for me at the bus. Um, but what happened, a series of things happened there. But from Parramatta's perspective, uh, I went to Vietnam and I came back uh, from Vietnam. Uh, funny enough, I was guest of honour at the annual ball here uh, for that. Was, was, that was quite interesting too. Um, but uh, then I got posted to Queensland, uh, to Brisbane. And uh, I played. Uh, I was uh, Paul Morgan, who was the uh, who was the, the Broncos former chairman of the Broncos, was playing with Redcliffe, uh, and I'd spoken to Lenny Stacker, who was playing with North at that stage. Anyway, I couldn't I couldn't get there, so Paul said, "Come down to Redcliffe." So I then played uh, about six games with the Redcliffe Dolphins, and I was about to play against. So I played against Eastern Suburbs, and they said they wanted to get a clearance in Parramatta, 
anyway, uh, during the national service period, they they were supposed to have free transfers or no transfers, but free play. But uh, Balmain had put a tag on um, Keithy Outen. So anyway, um, Parramatta whacked a five grand transfer fee on me, which, which for which, the times, which was for the times was was significant. That was that was a, a, a grand for every year I played with them. But anyway, <laughs> I thought, oh well, that's fine. Anyway, what what as as as, as what happened was that. Uh, I got selected for the Queensland Army rugby team uh, to attend the carnival in Sydney on the, the Australian Combined Services and uh, consequently got selected for the Australian Combined Services, which I then toured around Australia playing all the state teams and um, we had a very successful tour with that. Uh, and then uh, from that I came back uh, to uh, Queensland and, and virtually played rugby union after that. Uh, it was quite interesting and then I... Played uh, with East up in Brisbane and uh, Tasmania, etc. And you were talking too about some of the players that you played alongside oh, yeah. in the army. <laughs> yeah, well, well, actually, it was interesting because uh, uh, when I um, I played against uh, Bobby Fulton, uh, I came on as a reserve uh, from reserve grade and played when Parramatta played Manly at Cumberland, and uh, Bobby and I had got in a bit of a dust up, um, and he was already in Nashville at that stage. <clears throat> He'd been called up. And uh, anyway, I went off to do my officer training when I got called up. And uh, anyway, I marched into the School of Artillery and uh, there was Bombardier Fulton and there was Le- Se- Lieutenant Richards. And he walked in and he said, good morning, sir, how are you? Said, hello, hello, Bob. <laughs> but, but he then uh, wanted me to play for the School of Artillery team. Um, and I might add, uh, the School of Artillery team had Keithy out and his halfback. Myself was 5'8". Bobby Fulton is inside centre. Uh, Keith, uh, Ken Graver, who was a first grade manly player for outside centre. David Appleby and Reg Shepherd on wings. Reg was a former Cronulla player. And we had a, had a Western Australian first grade rules player playing fullback. Uh, but, uh, and the forwards were just amazing, you know. So we, we had a massive side, you know. Massive side. We are. Uh we spoke with Bob O'Reilly going back a few years for a yeah. podcast and one thing that really strum, jumped out at me was he spoke glowingly about Arthur Beetson as a multi-sport athlete. Yeah. And you already mentioned that you played rugby union, but yes. you, you were a bit of a multi-sport athlete yourself too. Yes, I was. I, I played first grade rugby union up in Brisbane for Eastern Districts um, and we, uh, in 1970, and uh, we actually, the first time we made the grand final in the club's history. So um, it was uh, quite fascinating and then... Um, uh, then I got posted, uh, I, I got injured in 71 playing against, uh, playing against the Sydney side, which, which Dave Brockhoff, who was the coach of the, uh, the Wallabies, told them at the Wallaby trial, uh, and I was marking David Burnett uh, and Stephen Knight. So we, uh, we, they had, uh, they had uh, Russell Fairfax was sitting on the <laughs> sideline waiting to come on. That's, that's a pretty, pretty useful player right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they had, they had the, virtually the Wallaby pack. Uh, they had uh, their five. Uh, they had Ego Fisher as five eight, David Burnett inside centre, Stephen Knight outside centre, John Cole on one wing, Laurie Monaghan on the other, and and, uh, and Arthur McGill as fullback. That was really that. That was almost the Australian side. <laughs> so we played them at Victoria Barracks, and and I copped it. I got injured on that one, so put me out for a while. But then uh, then I managed to get back, and um, I went got posted to Tasmania and got selected. Uh, both in cricket and rugby for Tasmania, uh, but rugby to play against Victoria and the Fijians. There you go. And, I mean, we, we have seen something of a rise of the multi-sport athletes again in recent times, but it's just not something we're, we're used to. It's very mm. cool to hear 
how things were different back then. Uh, before we talk about the Blue and Gold Alliance, mate, there is a sombre note uh, for this week's episode of the tip sheet. Uh, we do want to express our sympathies, sympathy sorry, on the very recent passing of Ted Sokowitz, a man who worked alongside you at the Alliance. Yes. And is someone known to both Craig and a friend of uh, the podcast, Jeffro Parafru and Fru. Uh, is there anything you'd like to share about Ted with our listeners? Teddy was, uh, he was, he was as what you could call, what you would call a, a good bloke. He was just a great bloke. He was a, uh, uh, he was a guy that never complained when I asked him to do things. Was always willing to pitch in and help wherever he, wherever he could. Uh, was very uh, excited, uh, you know, about the Blue and Gold Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, he said it had been it was something that was needed for for a long time, and um, and passionate about Parramatta Eels. You know, yeah. that's that's who he was. Uh, he was just a lovely guy. Really, really sad. At, um, and and it's, it was it's shocked everybody. It just shocked everybody. And um, and we, when Michael Basson phoned me and said that Tommy on, on yes, it was two days ago now. Tuesday. Me, yeah. Tuesday, yeah, told me um, about it. Uh, I said, like, you're kidding, aren't you? He said, no. He said, uh, I said, that, that, that's, that's just devastating. Just yeah. devastating. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I spoke to, um, to uh, Kevin Webb uh, yesterday uh, about it and told him that from our perspective, what we've agreed to do um, is um, we've agreed to rename the the BGA Golf Day, the um, the the uh, Ted Solkowitz Memorial Golf Day, that will be in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And I've also uh, arranged. Uh, I, I sent an email to uh, to uh, Jimmy Sarantinos, and they've agreed to um, to uh, wear black armbands in uh, in, uh, in his honour on uh, on the game on Saturday. Oh, that's good. That is good to yeah, know. It's yeah. Good. You know, yeah. and, and Jim, Jimmy was very good. He, I, I said thank you very much on behalf of the BGA and also I'm sure of the family that they would really appreciate because one of the biggest things, they, the fears they had was he would be forgotten. Yeah. I said, well, he won't be forgotten because he was such a great guy. Yeah. You know? yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, he and, he and his brother Ed. Yeah. Um, I, I remember watching them like distinctly because, um, well, Ed was one of my favourite players and... Uh, um, and I and I I was able to meet Ed when I was a kid, um, watching the game, and because uh, they used to have functions here at the club. Yes, they did. Yeah. After the games, up in the dining room, and you, know, you could book in there, and they'd have a couple of players would come to mm. would be there after every home game, and they'd they'd go around to the tables yeah. and talk to everyone that was having a meal yeah. in the club. So um, it, it was a good way of meeting players with that. But um, I only met Ted for the first time this year and it mm. was when there was the uh, Blue and Gold Alliance day up at the captain's run for ah, yes, yeah, Bill's yeah. training. And, um, yeah, I was up there then. And, and I, I, I spoke to him about the uh, goal that he kicked, which I remember the goal that he kicked where he was concussed. And I think it won the game, but he didn't have any recollection mm. about the, about the goal or oh, what okay. the score was or what have you. He just kicked the goal. Yeah. Um, and, he, and, and it was interesting because... Of course, at the time he didn't remember it, but he remembered the fact that he didn't. <laughs> it was an event that he didn't remember. So um, yeah, well, look, it, it was it was some sad news. But yeah. now turning to that uh, to the Blue and Gold Alliance. Yep. How and when did the Blue Gold Alliance start? Basically, it um, uh, it was uh, 2015. Um, it was actually the fir- that was the first reunion I actually ever attended because I wasn't aware that they were on uh, because. When I was in the military, you're travelling all around the place mm-hmm. and you sort of lose contact. And I, I lost contact with them. And I didn't even know that, for instance, in 2007, 
they presented ties and key rings with the player numbers to all the players. Uh, they had a big ceremony up here. David Middleton, I think, was involved in it. Oh, uh, they, yeah, and it was uh, quite a... And then I actually was lucky enough to find it, to talk to Peter Wynn, who put me onto that, uh, you know, from that perspective. But um, it came... Uh, I went to the 2015 uh, reunion and I talked to uh, Michael Vella and I said, Michael, you know, we need to get a like an alumni, you know, here because, you know, that's really what this place needs. All these older players, these former players, uh, they need to. We need to get them together so that we can start to to look after them and, and those ones that are doing it hard, doing mm-hmm. it tough, and also get together and, and celebrate, you know, on a on an annual basis what had happened previously and relive all those wonderful memories and uh, all the goals that should have been kicked and weren't and the tries yeah. that scored and, <laughs> yeah. and the guys, the, the, they get bigger and bigger. And, but I said just that, se- that semblance of camaraderie and, te- and mateship that goes with playing uh, sp- team sports, you know. And anyway, uh, we did. We got together and um, we set it up and it started on 20, in 2016. So it's not that old. Um, and uh, I think in 2019... Uh, Michael, because of business and family, uh, and of course he had a young family, etc. So I took over, uh, and uh, we then went from there. And basically, uh, we have a great committee. We're building the committee all the time, um, and uh, we've got we've got uh, a female representative on there now because of the, of the women's uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, rugby league. Um, and uh, we've got our historian Jeff Smith, who's the uh, chief historian, um, and love it, love the guy. He's uh, he's just knowledgeable like you wouldn't believe and then we have uh, Michael Mosley we have David Black um, we have uh, Greg Pratt uh, da- uh, Gary, McDon- Gary O'Donnell we have um, uh, Matty Johnson uh, Joey Grimer and uh, I'm saying Kate F- Kay Fitzhenry uh, who else I'm trying to think now Arnie Chris is Chris Arnie Chris and, uh, oh, she, Chris, she might be coming on. We're just waiting for her to... Because yep. one of the things I've always always uh, wanted to do was made sure we had a, a welfare person yep. on, the, on, the, on the committee because I think that's one of the really key positions that, 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 are, that are important uh, in any committee like this, particularly a, 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 an association like the BGA, um, where, you, where you, your players you know, are in nursing homes and hospitals, etc., and you want to know how they're going... And, how they're getting on, and, and if they fall on hard times, how can we help them? You know, and that's really what it's all about. That's really what it's all about. Yep. So conceptually, it's obviously a pure and wonderful foundation for the Blue and Gold Alliance, but can you give listeners an idea of the scope and the work that you do and the people that are involved beyond just those that you mentioned? Well, basically, um, uh, what we're trying to do is, 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 uh, is to maintain and build, a, I guess, a, a strong and vibrant Blue and Gold Alliance to, to, uh, to uphold and, and, and continue to build and reinforce the club's legacy as, and, 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 our, and our approach to, to, I guess, moving forward and building it even better from our perspective because I think there are, there are a lot of players. You went through, um, I think, about in the year, from the year 2000, I think the players went for multiple clubs, you know, and uh, whereas prior to that, um, it was all pretty much one club people, yeah. one club players. Uh, but 2000, what we would like to do is, is really get to the stage of getting everyone back here to Parramatta where they started and being a member of the BGA so that we can, we can then know what we're looking for and, and get them to, to come to us and, and make it the home of the Parramatta players, Parramatta Eels players, because 
if if you have that, that's really what what's the basis of the uh, of the uh, of the whole process is. And you're really talking about some big numbers now because, oh, yeah. I mean, not it's we're talking about not just first grade players. We're talking about all graded players. Yes. We're talking about officials and coaches. Yep. So th- we're talking some massive numbers there. So what sort of methods are you going to be looking at using to, or have used to, to track people down? Because surely that's the biggest challenge is, oh. is tracking some people down. Yeah, well, it is. And, and what happened was when we, when we started up, um, Nick Veller and we, set, said, and we started allocating players, former players, to eras, if you like. So, for yep. instance, uh, uh, Matty Johnson had uh, 1940s to 1950s. Um, I had uh, Ken Thornett was 1960 to 1964, and I had 65 to 69, uh, and and then it went like that, so on. You know, for we had five year gaps, uh, 2000s. Of course, we needed more more because there was a lot was a yeah. bigger turnaround. But uh, in I looked, I eventually looked after the whole of 1960s because Ken passed away. Um, so, I, but I told him previously, don't you worry about it. We'll take care of that. Uh, anyway, it was. Um, we tried to. We, we had this list. And we then went out and said, right, oh, we chased all these people down, tried to get their names and, and, and contact details, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, there was a database, I think, for uh, in the football club. It wasn't in very good shape. So anyway, we, we got all this information together and we gave it to the football club, and then they started to update their database. And now we're still in the same boat. We're still looking to do the same things, but we, we've now got the website, the BGA website. Uh, we've got a Facebook page. But we really want to get out there as much as we can and get onto these people so that that day we can eventually have that one day when we can get everybody back to yep. say, hey, welcome back to Parramatta. You know, because to me that would be the, that would be the ultimate uh, you know, prize of, of, of having all these players. Because you, you can see them, even the junior, they started at Parramatta. They started at Parramatta. They were from Parramatta. It's just extraordinary. And if we could just get them back for one day. Yep. And you, you hinted at it there, and, and prior to that, you'd given us the mission statement of the BGA. Yeah. But is there an ultimate goal or destination for where you see the alliance heading towards? Well, I think I think the uh, it's it's bringing everybody home. I think that's that's the ultimate uh, ultimate aim of the uh, alliance because you know when they when you play for multiple clubs, the club you really remember is the first club you started yeah. with, you know. And and I think that's what we want them to do is to is to say, listen, it's time to come home. Uh, and be part of, of the, your, the, the, the club you started with, uh, and be a, be an active member to help our you know help your help your teammates uh, should they fall under hard times and uh, and all get in and pitch in and help them. It almost sounds like it's a combination of old boys and men of league in in what you're trying to achieve. Well, it is, it is, but it's more specific to us. But I have to tell you quite a funny thing that. Um, that uh, I heard, uh, I was told that uh, that the the if you like the younger bo- younger guys don't like being called old boys. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what? You know, they said they don't like being called old boys. So the I said, young okay, ones. We'll call, them, we'll call them past players or former players. <laughs> I said, come on, you know. I mean, every other club calls them old boys, but we're going to call them past players. So anyway, that's the, that's the way it goes. But but just on this and and. Um, you know, especially ones that are recent past players. You've you've been someone who's done a lot of studies in in your career, throughout your career, your work yep. life, and it's taking you now down that path of um, player transitions into retirement. Yep. 
what have you discovered so far about that? Well, basically, um, there are two types of transitions. There's voluntary transition and an um, involuntary transition. And voluntary transitions, of course, is when uh, players decide themselves that they want to, that's time to go. Um, and they then make the appropriate plans and dates, etc., and, and off they go. Whereas involuntary ones are, are, are players who may be deselected, uh, who may have uh, in injury, and, and probably I would say nine times out of ten it's more about injury, career-ending injuries, um, and also uh, maybe from family reasons uh, or financial reasons, whatever the case may be. But, but the involuntary one tends to create more of an issue. Um, and, of course, once they do that, particularly with an injury, uh, where do they go? What, are the, what have they got behind them that can help them when they, when they, uh, when they have to start a new career? Um, and uh, I know that there's some programs being put in place by, uh, by clubs around the place, um, but I think there's more to it than that because I think this wonderful thing called athletic identity has this bad habit of getting in the way uh, of players and, 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 and wanting to still play uh, through that when, they, when, when they, know they feel they can play even though they, that career and injury stopped them. And, of course, what happens from there is there tends to be, there tends to be a... A spiraling down, uh, they in depression, uh, anxiety. Uh, they then look for ways of getting out of that, which is alcohol, drugs, etc. Um, and what we're trying to do is is uh, and and that's from even from the BGA's perspective is is looking at having that welfare person who we can start to look at and work with uh, with say someone like a David Gower, so we can uh, interplay be that interplay with that to make sure it happens, but. Uh, but also to try and help these players to say, you know, just to ring them up and have a chat with them because I know a few of them even now are, are struggling because of their business uh, that's happened during the floods and, and also from COVID. Uh, they need to be, we need to be in touch with them just to keep them up and keep them, keep them talking to them because guys don't like talking about yeah. their issues. Yeah. And, and we've got to get the message out there very clearly, guys. You've you, you got to talk about it because a, a problem shared is a problem halved, you and know, and I think... That's the whole thing with it, you know. And you don't speak for as an armchair expert in this capacity. This is an actual area of expertise for you. Oh yeah, it is. It is, and uh, you know, from uh, and and that's right. I'm 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 doing a part-time PhD through this process, and uh, and I think the 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 fact that that I'm I'm going to be uh, and I want to be interviewing uh, uh, players, past players, about how they've actually, you know, what is a successful transition? What do, what constitutes a successful transition? Uh, and uh, how do they, how have they gone? Uh, what if they could go back and change things? What would they change? Because are they getting support from the clubs? Are they getting support from their family? Are they getting support from the National Rugby League? You know, because you know it's all of these uh, clubs, the club and the National NRL have a vicarious liability because they make money from these players. Uh, and sure, the players get big money for it, but by the same token, they still have a vicarious liability and a duty of care to look after their players. Yeah. And we were talking before as well that, like, there are players who will make a good living out of it, but there's also an awful lot... That average that, life... Yeah, yeah well, we were talking like before about that average... What was yeah. it, 30... 30 games. 30 games is, uh, is, is an and average... If you're, if you're talking about a percentile of players that make it through the pathways into first grade, it falls in the low, like low percentile bracket. 1% of players will ever make it up to the first grade level. There, there you know? and, and I think from that perspective, 
if, you know, people have asked me, that, you know, and I've seen articles say, when should, when should uh, you, you consider transitioning out of sport is when you start it. Yep. Yeah. You should be looking at, mm-hmm. okay, how long am I going to last in this? And realistically, <clears throat> how long do I think I'm going to be here? Because if you don't start preparing for life after sport uh, when you're in it, uh, it's going to be a, a, a grinding hole. It'll come you at you there. real fast. It'll come real fast. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when it comes up on you, uh, it sometimes can be a little bit too late, you know. I wonder as well, because we talk about accreditation of player agents, whether part of the accreditation process should be that uh, part of the service that they provide is assisting players in the transition or that they are educated in that transition of players yeah. into, into uh, post-football I, 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 I agree, but I'll, I'll give you something else. that I, I put a proposal to the NRL about two years ago yep. that um, they should put a proposal to the clubs for every player they can get to diploma level, you add $10,000 to the salary cap, and for a degree, you add $30,000 to the salary cap. Um, I would not be yep. against it whatsoever. I mean, part back when it was the, not Jersey Fleet, but they moved to the National Youth Competition and had the Toyota Cup, Holden yeah. Cup, uh, part of that process was either tertiary education or apprenticeship, yeah. which was pushed, you know, as parallel to your football career, you need mm. to have some sort of certification. Yeah. And that, that is a fantastic answer to what we have now where yeah. we're back to the Jersey Fleet, but incentivise it. Yeah. You know, tell the clubs that get these young men and young women now off the NRLW, get them a, a career to go alongside their playing career yeah. and it will make, make it worthwhile, worth your while, sorry, when it comes to the actual football management side of things. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean there's life after sport. If, you, if, you've got a, if you've got some tertiary qualification or, or some whatever it may be, some qualification. It's going and to it make doesn't have to be just university. I like no, it can it. be TAFE yeah. qualifications, yeah. you know, like uh, be it with a trade or, or be it that it's you know, occupation specific, you know, anything you know, from a Cert 3 and something all the way through, that they that they have got that background in a post-football career. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, and there are a lot of players, well, not a lot of players, there are players who are doing it now, who are, who are, who are you know, I, I always think about David Parkin, uh, who was a coach of Carlton many years ago. David Parkin had a very simple rule. He said, if you're not playing or training, you should be working or studying, you know? I thought that's pretty simple, simple rule, mm-hmm. you know, through that process. Probably eliminates a few trouble situations oh, I would. that young people get themselves into. Well, that's right. And the, and the fact hands. is, the other thing that I, I wanted, that I, I sort of would like to do, I wouldn't say wanted to, I wanted to do, is I wanted to see a mentoring system, the BGA help in a mentoring system with the, with the younger, younger guys. But, uh, look... You know, I mean, you no, no, uh, no arguments from us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think that would be brilliant. You know, and and I think there are the players that we have there. Some of them be fantastic mentors. Yeah. You know, to these young people. I mean, we, we've had the privilege of, like we said, speaking to some former greats, guys like Dave Lydiard, Steve Ella, and the, I mean their post playing careers and some of the work they've done. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's incredible, and they can go a long way towards helping shape the futures of other young. Exactly, men and, and and these youth of today, they get bored. You know, yeah. and if there's no one there mentoring them. And, 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 you know, I, I, I say to people about, you know, uh, some of these kids, they need to have role models, you know, and who do they look – they want someone to look up to that they can follow, you know, and we've got to make sure – in these league players, sure, nobody asks them to be role models, and, that, and that, that's an issue, but the fact is they are, 
Like yep. it or not, they are. You know, because kids will, all these kids who love rugby will look at them and say, that's who I want to be like. Yeah. You know? yep. And what they've got to do, they've got to be able to be good not only on the field, but off the field. Yes. And it works both ways. And I think that's, that's the important part about it, you know, from my perspective. I also like the fact that it's, um, it adds to keeping the, the, the history alive as well, that there's that component of, of the current players being aware of, you know, and even if it's their, their introduction to a former player is by that former player being a mentor. Yeah. Um, I, I was at a, a sponsor event a number of years ago and I was talking to one of the players who was... That's, he hadn't played first grade. He was coming up through... Uh, he was, although he was in the uh, NRL full-time squad. Mm. And I said to him, Did you see Brett Kenny over there? That's Brett Kenny. Mm. And he said, who? Who, yeah. yeah. And I said, Brett Kenny. And he just shook his head. Living legend, one of the greatest deals of all time. Yeah. You know? And when I started talking about the when and the where and what have you, he said, oh, did he play with Peter Sterling? <laughs> and I said, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I mean, if you, when you're talking about, you know, someone who most people would think this is about as famous as you can get as a as an Eels player when you, yeah. you drop the name Brett Kenny. Yeah. But you've got players that are coming that were coming through never heard of the name. And yeah. um, you know, I I'm I'm someone for that I, I believe so deeply in the legacy of who's gone before. Oh yeah. Uh, because everyone that comes through is a custodian of the jersey mm-hmm. for a period of time. Yep. And I think it's good to know for all players to know who have been the previous custodians. And it's not like they have to pass a test to know who, who a previous custodian was, mm. but it's just nice to have some awareness of, of who's gone before and what, they've, what they did as part of their journey in the mm. club because they've all got that different example, as you say. There'd be those players that never made it to first grade. Yeah. There are those players who maybe only played that, that number that we talked about, the 30 first grade yeah. games then you've got those that have won premierships and yeah. and no matter who that young player is coming through th- there's going to be someone that they can probably identify with mm. in their own journey even now and 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 even the difference in that jur- journey that they have in the modern game there's still maybe something they can identify yeah. with yeah no i agree the, the all blacks have a fantastic system i don't know if we're aware of that we're, for all new players when they become an all black what they do is they give them a book and the, and the first number of pages is the history, uh, and then they have the 12 principles, and the rest of the book is blank. That's for them to write their write own, own story. Yep. Yep. Yeah, That's the, what they do. How brilliant reason, is that? There is a reason why the All Blacks have stayed at the absolute pinnacle of their code for so long. Uh, all of their practices are not just groundbreaking, but they, they steep cutting-edge technology and training with story, tradition and, and connections. So they've done it's such a great it's job. It's fascinating for such a small nation as yeah. New Zealand is. Oh, yeah. But, you know, uh, you have a look. There's a very good book called Legend. Have a look at it. I, I was fortunate enough to tour the South Island as a schoolboy for Rugby Union and you talk about the passion for the code. They, they live and breathe it. And if you want to see something really, really fascinating... Go on to YouTube and watch the Harker by two schools. Oh, yeah, we've yeah, seen yeah, that. Yeah, yes. we, we, yeah. we got, we got the, uh, the introductory Harker. Yeah, it is. How good is that? But that's passion. Yeah. That's passion, you know. I mean, I always come back to Muhammad Ali. You know, he talks about 
he said one of the things about is about the skill in gyms, etc. The skill, but he said one of the most important thing is is the will's got to be greater than the skill. Yeah. If you want to win, yep. if you want to do well, and and that's what it's all about. It's that will has got to be greater than the skill. Because you get to a point where obviously there are freaks among freaks. You see guys, oh, whether yeah. it's you know Greg Inglis or whatnot, or Arthur Beetson going back, and they're incredibly talented, but at some point the playing level sort of just flattens out yeah. and that's where the will, the, the want to, the willpower, the right. how that's much do you want it. They step above it. They step above it because they know they know how to give that extra. How, how much does that resonate when we're talking about this year? Yeah. With performances, yeah. the yeah. will needing to be yeah. greater than the skill. Yeah. Where we've seen that the, the, you know, the 2022 Eels can beat the best in the most testing of conditions but then they, they sort of just flatten out against other competitors. Yeah, but, but I think that's that's focus. Yeah. yeah, that is focus. That's just focus, guys. You know, I mean, look at look at what's going to happen on Saturday. They're playing West, they're going to the West Tigers. You know, and if they think they're easy beats, they tried that last time and got flogged. Yep. You know, so mm-hmm. the fact is, that the the most important thing that I see about, and I've trained, I've coached kids, and I've coached teams, I've coached army teams, etc. I have to say to them, if you're leading thirty nil at half time, you should be leading sixty nil at full time. You never take your foot off the throat. And the most important thing is they are only going to be as good as you let them be. Yeah. You know? That, that, that resonates as well. They're only <laughs> yes. going to be as good as you let them be. Yeah. You know? yes. um, just back to uh, something you spoke about before, which was the, the golf day, which is yes. now going to be renamed. Now, the, the original plans were for July 11, but you've had that... We've had that recent wet weather and it's, yeah. I 12th, believe it's postponed. To the 12th of August. To the 12th of August? Yes. Okay, yeah. yep. Same um, timing, same location, just different date. It sounds like a wonderful opportunity to pe- for people to mix with, yep. some, you know, former Parramatta players. Yeah, we're, it is. It is. Um, we're, we're trying to get as many as we can. Uh, I guess, that, you know, it just depends on... Ideally, it's we wanted to, for the BGA only at that stage, yep. uh, but it may depending on how the numbers, but we hope that down the track we can start to build this because this is the inaugural one, so yep. we want it to be as successful. And Teddy was passionate about, he said, I want to make this a, a great success, so, and, and that's why it's important that, that it bears his name from that perspective because uh, he, is, he was just passionate about making it successful, didn't want to sort of involve too many other things, but keep it as simple as possible and make it very successful. There is something yeah. about the long fairways and the greens that sort of makes a great... No corporate or, or sort of event bonding experience, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, it does, it does. And, and, and uh, I remember playing at uh, Riverside Oaks in 2016 uh, with the Parramatta guys. Um, and it was, it was quite fascinating. I mean, amongst the kangaroos and what have you there. But, uh, but uh, yeah, we, I was playing with a lot of the training trainers, the training staff, and it was, uh, it was excellent, you know. And, and, and I got a chance to talk to Dave Gower and a few other players there. And um, it was... Um, it was the, it was the way to go. I mean, we we hope we might get a few of the few of the first graders, but I guess that's going to be as uh, on a Friday. It depends when yeah, they're playing. Yeah, logistically yeah. on the scheduling. Yeah, it just depends. But we're, we're you know that it'll be what it'll be. If, if it doesn't happen this year, we might be able to get a, a better date next year. You know, so. so you mentioned that the golf day has been rescheduled to the twelfth of August. Twelfth of August, which means you're going to be very busy because on the twentieth of August that's you've our, got the, the big well, reunion. We're well we're well on the way to uh, to having that uh, prepared. The, Preparations are well underway for the reunion, anyway. So, um, 
And will that be part of the actual official match day activities? Yes, it or will. Yes, it will. Um, it, uh, basically, we we'll have lunch here. We'll walk across to the um, to the uh, to the oval, uh, to the stadium. Uh, we'll then uh, do the walk around uh, for the um, just prior to the game. Uh, and then uh, we'll form the Guard of Honour for the first grade. So it's nice to see we're formalising the, let me get this right, the old boys and former players <laughs> yeah. uh, well, as, as part of the official it, match day experience. That's, yeah, the, you know, one thing I talk to the, the football, that this is our day. It's got to be our day. I don't care about, you know, they, about the fans. The fans are terrific, but the, the, the 20th, the reunion day is our day. That's fair. I mean, uh, and it's got to stay that way, you know, and it... And it's important that it stays that way because we don't want to lose that. You know, that's, that's the legacy for us. So how important are reunions then? Like, and, and what are they... And let's go for a personal thought from, from you. What do reunions mean for you? Well, in fact, being, being ex-military, you know, I, I, I do the parallels with them because you look at Anzac Day. I was in Vietnam and, and OK, I soldiers there and, and you, it's a chance to get together and meet friends and catch up with buddies you've, you've played with uh, a year, you know, for over a number of years, uh, to catch up what they're doing, to share some drinks, to share stories, to find out how their family's going, etc., etc. you know. So it's just, it's, it's just a great way to, to, to rebuild that, that, that camaraderie that, that existed when you were playing together, you know, and there's no reason why it doesn't, uh, doesn't continue now. And, and also... It gives us the opportunity to see how people are going. Yeah. You know, how they're going, you know, because we want to find out from them, uh, are they doing it hard or they, whatever the case may be, and how can we help? You know? yeah. I mean, that's the key for us because... Uh, we, and those reunions are a great way because the point is that these days, and, and, and it was interesting, I, I said to Jeff, uh, we, we, Jeff uh, Smith uh, sent me a text before I came up, and I said to him, and, uh, you know, there's one thing you never can get back, and that's a missed opportunity, you know. And and this is an opportunity uh, you take, uh, you know, from Ted, the unfortunately Teddy's situation. What a missed opportunity that other people had that they never got a chance to see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. uh, had he, you know, and that reunion provides you a great opportunity to catch up with your and not miss the opportunity to catch up with your mates for for, for, for another year. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you, I mean you don't want things and, and as. Uh, as maybe as dark as it sounds, you don't want the reunion of people to be at funerals. That's exactly no, right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. That's right. And yeah, and yeah, yeah. Because we we want this reunions are a celebration. Yes. They're a celebration, and they should be a celebration um, about uh, what's transpired, what's gone before, and what's gone what's gone after. And what, what is And I imagine it's a it's a that great networking opportunity because we talked about how do you track down former people. Yeah. And you know, like they're. Have you heard from such and such? Have you heard from this? And someone might have a number or a connection. And then, you know, like... We've also got a WhatsApp too, I forgot to mention. We're on WhatsApp as well. So um, we're trying to... I'm at the moment trying to track down a lot of players, the numbers, and and hopefully um, we've got to work out how we're going to do that uh, uh, because uh, there's a privacy issue. I don't want to go down and add them straight on to that. So I need to ask there, do they want to join, you know, and join us, et cetera. And if they do, then we'll pull them on. But... uh, we're very, very aware of the privacy issues related to that, so we're not going to step out. And but something you said res- really resonated with me, and something that we've experienced, Craig, with the tip sheet now, chats with former players, is 
those stories, you know, whether it's football or life, there are so many incredible stories that, you know, these men and, and women, once they become part of the alliance yeah. from the NRLW, have to share. And you, you don't want them lost. No. They, they need to be, you know, not all of them can obviously be shared on a microphone because yeah. that's that's how life goes. Yeah, but, 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 but that's this, this, this perpetuity. You want to make yep. sure they're yeah, in perpetuity. Of history. Yeah. Yeah. They're part of that history and, and, and part of that legacy that, that people can come. And, and look, it's, it's about culture. It's about the culture yep. of the yep. club. And that's really what it comes down to. All this thing adds up to a to a, an amazing culture. You know, we, we, we've probably been lucky when we, uh, when we first started the Cumberland Throw a number of years back and we were doing uh, video interviews of, with former players and um, uh, we got to hear some fantastic oh. stories <laughs> off camera uh, because like you know this does give you the opportunity to share to share stories you yeah, might yeah. you mightn't share to an audience yeah, yeah, <laughs> but you yeah. get to get to to share with but each it, other but even the ones that you you can share because they are you know pg whatever you want to call it there there is so much incredible stuff that happened i mean like i said going back to the bear him talking about arthur beats being such an incredible multi-sport athlete it wasn't something i knew yeah. and yet he dominated squash like yeah. they, they had a local squash competition well i'm a squash player too yeah I yeah. played squash. Uh, I always played big great squash in uh, in, uh, in in the Sydney, um, and uh, yeah, loved it. Loved it squash, mm-hmm. you know, and um, uh, tennis. You know, uh, ball sports. You know, I, I was pretty lucky. I had a bit of talent in ball sports, and you know, Lenny Stacker and we played cricket together under f- under fifteen cricket together, and then we played baseball together. Um, so yeah, we've uh, we've had. I a think l- there's a generational thing, isn't there, where um, you know. Everyone tried their hand at a at a range of you also of were just sports outdoors more back. But, yeah, well, yeah, I think I think yeah. I, there, there's not as many dis, there weren't as many distractions. Yeah, uh, but but you know we were always outdoors. Yeah, you know we're it. either out yeah. in the street playing cricket I mean, on the street and with the boxes and and the cricket bat and what have you, or doing sprints up and down the street. I remember I used to do that all the time. Sort of. I, bec- I, I was going to say. I mean, I, I I would not consider myself from a generation of you know. Where we didn't have technology or anything, but uh, but growing up, I played tennis, grass hockey, cricket, yeah. and then you, you tell that to my nieces and nephews, and they're like, "What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah." It's like if you're lucky, they'll play one sport. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, I I was the same, and because Dad was a football player, I know I know he enjoyed the fact that I was having a, a crack at football mm-hmm. as my as my first love, and he and he used to say to me because my dad was a little halfback, oh, and, yeah. and and Dad's about five foot two. Yeah. Um, and he used to say to me, "You are so tall." And he used to get me to um, on the footpaths where you got the, the the squares marked out in the pavement. And as a kid, he used to get me to try to stride out so that I'm landing a <laughs> yeah. foot in yeah. each in yeah, each square. I used to do the so- well. I I used to practice um, uh, when I lived at Villawood and uh, down, going down to Villawood Station. There were all these poles on the side of the road. That's yep. how I practiced my sidestepping. Yep, yep. Going, going to and from, you know, round each round. Making, making something out of nothing in terms yeah, of training it, equipment. You do it, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you do it because you want to do it. Yep. Yes. That's yeah. the important thing. You yeah. do it because you want to do it and you, you want to get better you at it. You want to push yourself, yeah. challenge yourself. Push yourself. You know, you, you, you love doing it. Yeah. You know, like there's a passion that you have for oh, it. Oh, amazing stuff, yeah. All right, Bill, I've got a confession. While we've been chatting, I've had a cheeky little look at the Blue and Gold Alliance website. I couldn't but help but notice you've got a nice little merchandise corner on the store. Yes. There's some good stuff. I think there's a hoodie, you've got a jacket, there's a singlet, there's shorts. Yes. Is that available for anyone to purchase? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I think it's – I have to be careful what I say here because it's a bit – it's not like the merchandising shop down here. Yeah. You know, that the public can do because really it's for membership of the BGA. You know, 
and for the members of the BGA predominantly. Um, I guess we, that's something the committee will need to sort out whether they want to open it up uh, to anybody else. But well, you know what? If you have the right merchandise, yeah. it's going to it's you know it's the sort of stuff that would sell, and people would look at it as as yeah. a difference. So maybe because uh, you know, like I, I have this passion that I want the Blue and Gold Alliance rep, representatives of the Blue and Gold Alliance as, as part of the Eels member area over in the stadium every home match yes. where where they can mix with people and where and of course be identified by you know if they've got a pol- yeah, gold alliance polo on or yep. what have you and uh, people can go and chat to them if they like um, but it's just they're there and you know have that presence um, mm. but I, you know I, I think to myself if you had a separate line that was like for um, you know the supporters yeah well you, you'd probably get the yeah well we looked at it and I thought I like those shorts. They're the shorts. And they make them in my size. I'm a, I mean, you can tell I'm a sucker for hoodies. So. No, that, 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 the jacket's good. The jacket is very good. I mean, the guys, the guys. when I took it, I've got, I've got some, uh, some stuff there that I took up for one of the meetings, and, and the guy said, this jacket is better than the Parramatta one. Don't say that one too. No, no but, it, but it's a very nice jacket. It's a very nice jacket. Bill... I mean, I think it's safe to say, 60s, that we'll be sharing any news that you guys have when it comes to the blue and gold moving forwards on TCT and the tip sheet. It has been an absolute blast to have you on our show. Uh, fellow supporters, we want to keep them up to date with everything happening with the Alliance. Yes. Uh, for any former players, any officials, or anyone that just wants to be involved in the Alliance, whether it's helping yes. out or whatnot, how can they get in touch with you guys? Um, the, the, we've, got a, we've got an email address, BGA, uh, at... Uh, at parallels.com.au mm-hmm. uh, or they can contact me. Um, I'm more than happy to, uh, to, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, talk to them uh, and get them involved. And you mentioned before, but you do have an online presence now, blueandgoldalliance.com.au. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and then, of course, we have the, uh, have the website, um, but um, you can register on the website as well if they want to join. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, if anyone is interested, whether you're a former player, former coach, former official, yes, in any official, capacity, anyone that's been uh, pa- been involved with Parramatta at the, at the grade level, you know, at the grade level is really what it's all or about. Or if listening to us chat, the bill has sparked your passion yeah. about helping, like we talked about, get the uh, the, the history, the the all the yeah. incredible memories and connections to the past, yep. and keeping them very much alive. Love to hear from them. Exactly. Love to hear from them. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. It's been a pleasure. It Great stuff. Wonderful. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Appreciate mate. it.